Welcome to The Jesus Follower, a podcast about helping ordinary people be close to an extraordinary God. The goal? To help you experience the life you were designed to live, in the good times, tough times, and in the moments that nobody else sees. Amen. Wow. What a, what a blessing. How do you follow that, right? <laughs> Man. Okay, well, uh, it's great to be in the house of the Lord today and uh, to just worship the King. We, so many of the songs that we're singing, you know, I think that Jesus at the center of it all, that's really my and all of our heart's desire that Jesus would be the center of it all, would be the center of His church here at Rolling Hills. And, and so I'm so grateful for the time of worship. Uh, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 23 this morning, we're going we're gonna to be looking at uh, from essentially we're going to cover a, a little bit of ground this morning together from when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to when he was crucified, okay? So we're going to cover all that territory, so you can be very excited about that this morning. Uh, no, I, it, it will, we're going to glance over some of it, but the title of the message, and that's really all I want to, wanted to share with you, I don't have any other slides other than this, is when what we think we know is not nearly as important as who we know. When what we think we know is not nearly as important as who we know. And we're going to be looking at Luke 23 to try to, to try to understand this. I'll be honest with you, this has been one of my favorite messages to prepare as God has just shared it with me. So I'm really excited. And you just pray for us this morning that, that I don't get in the way and mess it up what God has to share this morning out of Luke 23. But what, what I, I started reading in Luke 19 this week and, and, I, and I just kept going, kept going to the, to the crucifixion. And uh, when Jesus entered into, the, into the, into Jerusalem for the last time, and, and that triumphal entry, and I like, love the kids walking around waving the, the palm branches this morning and uh, kind of giving us that mental picture of, of what was going on on that, in that day. And, and I, I was reading through that, and you know, for us that know the passage and have read through it, we know that in just a few short, in a short time from when he enters in, it's going to drastically change, the people's opinion is going to drastically change on Jesus, Right? So, so, so he enters in and everybody's celebrating and everyone's rejoicing and everyone's excited. And, and for a moment there, it seems like that everyone finally gets the picture as to who Jesus really is. Like he's finally getting the honor that, that he deserves. He's finally getting the worship. He is the king. He deserves to be celebrated. And we're like, yes, they've got it. But then you keep reading. And it's kind of a heartbreaking experience to keep reading because this is uh, right before the crucifixion and I was reading on down and I, I keep, and, and it's heartbreaking because I see, you know, basically I'll just word it like this, how the institution essentially failed Jesus, the religious failed Jesus. Uh, so many failed Jesus in those last moments that he had here on earth, living and dying and, and dwelling with us to teach us the truth, to always do the will of God. I just started paying close attention to how often that they failed him in those last moments. And I, I know that when, when, when he enters in, there is a celebration. And, and so often there are those celebrations in life, but unfortunately many times they are followed up by us kind of, we are easily lost in direction. We lose our way very easily. And so many times the celebration is there, but sometimes the celebration isn't, isn't as long as 
um, some of the other paths that we find ourselves on. And so, y'all help me out this morning. After he enters in, what's one of the first things that he does after he enters in to Jerusalem this last time and everyone's celebrating? Where does he go? Where's one of the first places that he goes? The temple, to, to greet them and to say, we're really glad you're here, please come back, right? No, right? Because he's, he's, a, he's a savior and a king of truth, right? He's a, true, a savior of love. And they were doing something in the temple that wasn't pleasing to him. This was the place for spiritual guidance in the day where people went to, to find direction. And he, and he goes in and what's he do? You don't have to be afraid to say it. I heard somebody say, don't be afraid. I'm not going to do that. I'm not depicting that this morning, okay? But... He flips over tables, right? He, he's upset and he's frustrated. And this last time, he's, this la these last moments, he goes into the temple and he, he begins to throw over tables. And, he, and why is he so frustrated? Because they're, they're making, it's a money-making venture, right? It's not a house of prayer. He said, my, I love what he says there, that my house is to be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves, right? Like, like this is not what it, the purpose of it is. The purpose is, is worship, is prayer, is, is being before the Father. And this is all wrong. And then I, I kept reading and I was like, okay, he goes in and does this. He's weeping over Jerusalem. And then he gets all these frivolous questions from the establishment, from the religious one of those questions are about the resurrection. You remember how many, uh, uh, say seven times they marry uh, this same lady and the, all the brothers pass away in, after the resurrection. Who's going to be married to this, uh, to this lady in the time of resurrection? And you see uh, questions like that, questions about taxes, questions about all these things. And I look at that and I watch it. I'm like, don't you realize like he's getting ready to die on a cross for you and you're asking all these questions. Like it seems like there would be more important things that they would want to do with Jesus before he goes rather than spend time on some of these questions. So he goes on and he, and he continues to uh, spend time with them and he continues to, to warn them. And, and throughout the process of time, he warns them of the, the Pharisees. And actually, he does it uh, very boldly right in, the, in, in their faces, in the presence of them, really, uh, because Jesus was all about the truth. Uh, and so we read, like in verse number 46 of Luke chapter 20, it says, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and for a shoe make long prayers, the same shall receive greater damnation. Now we have to understand that when he says this, they're there, right? They, they, they hear him saying that and they recognize probably that he's talking about them, but he, that's just the Savior. He was a Savior of truth. And, and so we see that, that even in the process of the warnings that come here from the time he enters Jerusalem to the time he's going to be crucified, that he warns of these that, that are going to lead astray. He warns of these false teachers and he's trying to prepare one last time before he goes. But all of the ones that I would have suspected that should have known better are the very ones that are failing him in those last moments. And it hits me like a ton of bricks. Like, wh why, why are they failing him like this? 
You know, the, the, the religious leaders, you know, we know the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, we know that they are trained. They, are, they have been raised in the, in the law. They have been trained in it. So they, they should have known, like it told all about Jesus in, in the Old Testament, the prophets, even the ones they claimed, Abraham and Moses, they told, he, they, they, they foretold about Jesus. And so they had studied and they had been trained and they had been prepared and they had their whole system lined out. But yet when Jesus was there, they didn't see him. And, and, and then I thought, well, what about his disciples, right? Because these are the guys that, that Jesus has been with for three and a half years. He has been training them. He has called them. He has given them a purpose and a mission. Surely his disciples will be the ones that will stick by him, that will say, Jesus, we got you. We, understand, we know what you're getting ready to do for us. But then I see that his, one of his disciples is the very one that turns him in by the name of Judas, right? In the garden when Jesus is, is, uh, is crying out to God as the cross is on the horizon, he asked his disciples to do something with him. What did, what did he ask them to do? Watch and pray, right? Yeah. He says, he says pray with me. What did they do? They went to sleep. <laughs> some, so, some of that really intense prayer perhaps. And so, so I look at the disciples and then, and then I follow it, as we follow it on and you see that, that he tells Peter and Peter, Peter is the one that you would expect, you know, he has, he has really trained Peter, he has discipled Peter, he has poured into him and, he, and, he, and he, you would think that Peter, surely as bold as he was, would be the one that would stand by Jesus, but Peter didn't stand by him either, did he? Peter denied Jesus three times. And so I, I look at this scene and I look at this great savior of the world that has come and spent 33 years on this earth for a bunch of people that, that were sinners and fall short and, and people that, would, uh, that, that desperately needed a rescuer and he was here for them, he was here for us and yet one by one, they just, they're not to be found. And even to the point that when he goes before Pilate and the, and the government of the day, the Romans, right? The, and he goes on trial and, and Pilate says, what does Pilate say? What does he find in the trial? Nothing. He's not guilty. But he turns him over anyway. Doesn't that break your heart? Every person that he came to die for was all abandoning him. At the hour, you know, we, we want Jesus desperately to be there for us in our hour of need. That's, that's the moment in time when we want him closest to us than any other moment in time probably. When life is good, we're good to go and we just continue to roll. But, but in our hour of need, that's when we, we need encouragement. We need one another. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling together. We need one another, especially in our hour of need. And yet when the son of God himself, the king of kings and the Lord of lords in his hour of need, I mean, when he was praying and drops of blood and he was, was fall, like falling a sweat from his head, from his brow, in that hour of need, everybody was leaving him. Everybody was leaving him. 
And, it, and, it, and it's hard to read that because we understand, just as we've sang about this morning, we understand what his death, what his life, what that means for us. We understand, we've talked about him being, uh, being our intercessor. We talked about him being our great high priest. Jesus is our hope. Without Jesus, he is also our hope. Without Jesus, we don't have anything. We have nothing. He is everything to us. We are desperate for him. And without him, we are nothing. And yet, you see this scene being set where everybody leaves. And I ask myself the question, why, why are you leaving him? Why are you abandoning the one that has, has come down from heaven for you? Why are you walking away? Peter, why are you denying him? Judas, why are you betraying him? Religious leaders, how can you study and not see? How can you study and not know? How can you not recognize in the miracles and the perfection and everything he taught and did? How do you not see the magnificence of this king of kings? But they don't. Why? I just found myself saying, why, why, why? But you know, I found it very interesting that there is one for sure that gets who Jesus is. But it is the one that I would never have expected. You know, and so often I find God's word doing that, that for us. You know, we, we, we kind of bring, a lot of times we try to bring our best to the table, our best efforts, our best items, our best skills, our best whatever it may be. We try to bring our best understanding, our best processes, our best, you know, all of these things. And sometimes all those things can actually cloud out seeing just him, which is the one that we need, Right? but it is an unexpected one. As a matter of fact, it's somebody we don't even know his name. And I, and I, and I read that and I thought, you know, the reality behind, the, the, the importance of that is because his name didn't matter. Jesus' name is the name that matters because he's the hero of the story. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. This, 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 there was two thieves. Look at, look at verse 23, or chapter 23, verse number 39. There was two thieves that were crucified on the cross next to him. And, and, and we don't know their names, and we don't know a lot about their life, but all that we know and all that we realize is they were criminals. They were 100% criminals. They had done wrong. They had failed. They deserved to be where they were. And, and these two, one of these two is going to share the gospel gospel with us this morning in such an incredible way that has just left me mind blown as I've read it and I've heard God speak through this passage. And I hope that you can see it too this morning because it is incredible. It is a picture of this old boy, a picture of all of mankind and, 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 and that in comparison to the great risen king. Look at what it says in verse 39. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou, thou not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? So 
as we look at these criminals on the cross and we look at this account of these criminals, we see that, that one of them uh, was railing on Jesus and, and he was just probably verbally abusing him. I don't know what all he was saying, but we know that one of those that was on the side of Jesus was, was speaking ugly to him essentially, right? And, and he was calling condemnation on him. But you know, he was a, he was a thief. He was a criminal. I mean, that's kind of the expectation, but it, but it wasn't just him that was doing it. The religious were doing it. So many others were doing it. They were all mistreating Jesus. And so, so he is there and he is just breathing out these terrible things probably against the Savior. But the one person that takes up for Jesus in all of these final days is a criminal. Do you see that? All the people that abandoned him, everybody rejected him. Everyone turn, was turning their back. They were turning him, him into the officials. Peter and, and Judas, his own disciples, were, were, were betraying him. But then we come to this one criminal on the side of the cross, the one that takes up for Jesus out of all the rest. He rebukes the one that was verbally abusing Jesus. Now, who in this room would ever expect that the one that is going to do the right thing is the one that was dying, was actually in the process of receiving the death penalty? And he is the one that takes up for Jesus. The religious leaders didn't take up for Jesus. They hollered, crucify him. So many of his disciples, they were scattered. They actually didn't take up for Jesus. Right? In the same way. So many people abandoned him, but, but this one criminal. But I want you to see about this one criminal that's going to take up for Jesus. It's on the cross. We don't know his name. Next to Jesus. And, we, and, and, and the one thing that really sticks out is he brings nothing to the table. What, what, does, the, what does he have to give Jesus? His faith. His fa he, yeah. It, that's it. This, this thief on the cross shatters so much of what we teach about being saved, so much of what we teach in the institutionalized church about the process of what, what all this is about because he doesn't bring any kind of education. He doesn't bring probably very little knowledge. He doesn't know probably the justification of, uh, of, of faith and justification from your sins and the sanctification. He probably doesn't know a lot about the scripture. He doesn't bring anything to the table. He is on death row. He is dying for his crimes. Rightfully so. You see, so many times, you know, so many times I think that we try to, to bring our good works to the table. We try to substitute what we can do, what our efforts are, what our gifts are, and we try to say that that is what we're bringing to the table when all reality is, is we don't have anything without him. All, all we need to do is come to the table, right? And then, and then Jesus will guide and Jesus will gift and Jesus will lead and Jesus will heal and Jesus will do everything else. We don't have to come and cloud and confuse everything with policies and procedures and our ideas and our good works. All we need is to come to the table because everything else Jesus will take care of. We don't have gifts without him giving us gifts. We don't have life without him giving us life. What we do have, like this criminal, is we have sin though, don't we? What we do have is a life that deserves death, 
right? You see, this is the thing that blows my mind. It's very overwhelming. I identify so much with these guys that are in really bad places. The Onesimus last week that was a, was a thief, was a runaway slave. I identify with it. I identify with this thief on the cross because when I come to Jesus, I didn't have anything to offer him. There's nothing special about me. I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I have made mistakes. I fall short of the glory of God. I am guilty and the wages of my sin is death. I am no different than this criminal on the side of Jesus. And the whole process is just mind-blowing to me because, you know, all of the things that we go through, this, this criminal we know is not going to go through those things, is he? He's not going to be baptized. He's, he's not going to, uh, he's not going to say, repeat the prayer after Jesus. He's not going to do any of the things that you and I so often will put into effect saying you've got to do these things to be saved. And, and so many times we get on this way, this page and this page, we get off track on these things, but this criminal is not going to do any of those things. This criminal does not come with a, a super education. He doesn't present anything to him. There's nothing that he would say, probably I'm, I, I am super excellent at and I know you can use this for your kingdom. As a matter of fact, he's lived a life of crime and now he suffers the consequence. Do you see, you start to see the magnificent grace of God, don't you? That, that he, would take, he would take criminals and do what he's going to do with this fellow here. This criminal would be the one that would be taking up for Jesus in his last moments. And you know that as they're hanging on the cross, this isn't pleasant moments. This isn't easy moments. This is challenging, right? This is uncomfortable. This is not something that he was enjoying, certainly. But at the same time, he, ha he saw something in Jesus as he was hanging on that cross that looked different from everything else. And he treated Jesus better than those that knew Jesus up here treated him. He actually didn't probably know much about Jesus all up here. Everybody else. I mean, do you think the world ever sees that about the church, that maybe people in the world treat the Lord or are more respectful than sometimes people in the church? Do you ever, you ever think that, that sometimes that we can, if we're not careful, we can get off track on so many other things that when the, the world comes into the church, they actually don't see Jesus? It just baffles me that this is the guy. But that's the way the Word of God does, I think, so many times. He brought nothing to the table. But look at what it says. In verse number 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. So what we see in this is that we see the gospel. We see the salvation process. What did this man realize? that he was a sinner and he deserved to be on that cross. He didn't know the right words, but Jesus knows your heart. 
So, so he doesn't say like what we would expect to say. And if I was a pastor and, or if I was pastoring at the time and I heard this, I'd be like, are you sure you understand? Like, I want to dig deeper. There are certain words that I expect, but all that he knew was I deserve to be here because of my sin. I deserve to be here because I'm a criminal, but this man has done nothing wrong. So he recognized his sin in that moment on the cross. And secondly, he recognized the perfection of the Savior in that moment on the cross. Whereas everybody else, all the religious leaders, all those around, they wanted to, they, to, to bring up accusation. They wanted to say that he was a blasphemer. They certainly wouldn't have said any of the religious leaders that he was perfect, that he was the son of God. They would have never said that. But this thief on the cross saw who he was in comparison to Christ. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you see who we really are. And he was right next to him. And so, so, so he looked at him and, and in that begins his process of salvation because he, he sees, you see so many times we think it to be so challenging, but the reality is, is that when we meet Jesus, when we get that close to perfection, we're going to realize in our lost and sinful state that we need rescued, that we are criminals, that we are sinners, that we have fall short of the glory of God and that there is a perfect one that has paid for our price so that we don't have to stay like that. That's what he, that's what he saw. And, and, and you see, he testifies of that in his rebuking of the one talking bad about Jesus. He testifies of that. We deserve, what are you doing, man? Why are you mistreating him? You deserve this. I deserve this. But he doesn't deserve this. And I love, I love his profession in verse number 42. And I want you to pay attention to this. And he said unto Jesus, Lord. Whew, that's important, isn't it? Why is that important? He recognized him as Lord. You see, Lord changes everything, doesn't it? You, you can know Jesus as, a, as an idea. You can know Jesus as a good person. You can know Jesus as someone that gives good instruction for life. But when he's Lord, then your life is his altogether. He is in charge. He is in control. He is your king. He is your savior. He is the one that you follow. It is not a knowledge here. It is a knowledge here that cries out to him, Lord. He said, look, and, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, and this, is, this was his salvation experience, if you will. He says these very clear and intelligent and defined and theological words, remember me. That's what he said. Remember me. Isn't that incredible? Like, like, like that was his, that was his profession of, of faith. That was his, him getting saved, if we will, right? Like, it wasn't like this, this incredibly profound statement. It was just acknowledging who Jesus was, crying out to him as Lord and saying, please remember me. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. 
So look at, look, at this, look at this salvation that takes place. He acknowledges his sin because he gets close to Jesus and so he can see his sinful state in comparison to someone who's, perfe- or who's perfect. He, he, he rebukes the one that's talking bad about him because as he sees Jesus clearer and clearer, it is his Savior, it is his Lord. He is understanding who he is. And then he cries out to him and he calls him Lord and understands that it's almost as if he's saying, I want you to, you know, my life is you are the Lord. Lord of my life. And then he cries out to him and says, remember me. And then Jesus is going to do it. Isn't that incredible? He, he's going to do it like this guy doesn't have anything. He's got a life filled with sin and disobedience to God. He has fallen short over and over again. He is at the, as on his deathbed or, or, or receiving the death penalty rightly because of his sin. But even in that moment, our great King and Savior, Jesus, loves us so much that he's willing to forgive all the way to the end all the way to the end. He says, remember me. Then look at what Jesus says. He says, and Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto you, unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Glory to God, right? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But you know, I think about this and I, I watch, it's such an incredible story, but I think you and I can insert our own lives into this story, can't we? Because all of us, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what preconceived notions we have, it doesn't matter what we come into this room today with, those that are online, it does, it does not matter. All of us uh, will say and know that we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and if we keep ourselves at a distance from Jesus, it's easy for us to ignore that sin. It's easy for us just to blend in with that sin because everyone else is, in the world is doing it. And if we compare ourselves to the world, it's easy for us to just continue to say, you know what, we're pretty good. But you start taking steps to Jesus, the closer you get to him, the more you realize that we are not so good. The world can say, oh, well, everyone, this one's a good person, this one's a good person. That's not what the word of God says. And the closer you get to perfection, the closer I get to perfection, the more that I look to him, the more I realize I'm way back here from where I need to be. And what will begin to happen whenever that takes place is conviction in our lives, right? And even if, you're, even if you're a believer, conviction comes on us, right? Like when we sin and fall short of the glory of God because we always do, when we're not obedient like we're called to, when we're not going out on mission, conviction falls over us and the closer we get, the closer we grow in our intimacy, the more we see that conviction. And then as we see that conviction, just like the, the criminal on the cross, we acknowledge his perfection in our sinfulness. And when we cry out to him, and I want you to know this morning, it's not always in words that's gonna make sense in our institution of the church in America today. You know, I, I, something God's taught me is that people are saved all over the place, aren't they? 
Some are saved at church, some are saved at home, some are, I remember when Kaya got saved, I don't, I think she's, I didn't ask her if I could share this first, but when Kaya got saved, Kaya had to go through uh, uh, dad first at home, right? So she, she felt the Lord leading her life and dad asked a million questions because that's what dad does just in general, ask a million questions and so Kaya gave her life to Jesus at home. But the, but the big thing is, is that it's not how or necessarily what or that, that we get the right words. It's not repeating a prayer necessarily. It's crying out to him as Lord. It's acknowledging that, that he is the Savior, that he is perfect, that he doesn't deserve to be on that cross. We do. We do. Every one of us does. We deserve the cross. We deserve judgment. But yet there's one at the center of the three crosses that is the perfect one, that is our help, that is our redemption, that is our hope. Because other than that, there is no hope. This thief had no hope other than that man at the center cross. There was no, he was dying rightfully as he confessed. Death was on the horizon. He had nothing. And you and I have got to understand that it is no different for us. Jesus is our hope. He is at the center still. He was on the center cross for him, but he is at the center of everything for us. And regardless of whether we acknowledge it or not, it doesn't change the fact that he is. He's the center. He is our hope. This is such an, an unorthodox account, a, such an unexpected thing that in all of what's taken place and everything that's going on, that it wouldn't be the, the great religious, it wouldn't be the studied. And I started thinking about it. I was like, man, because they all tried to bring something to the table. And the guy on the cross said, I just have myself and my sin and I am yours. He didn't bring anything to the table. The religious missed Jesus because they were so caught up in their practices and what they were doing that they didn't see the main one right in front of them. And so many times, I think we try to justify and try to say, well, we can do this or we can handle it or we're pretty good or we can, and we have all these reasons why uh, that, that we are capable and able in and of ourselves, instead of just falling before him and saying, Lord, we just need you. We need you to do everything. We need you to move. This church at Rolling Hills, we need you to guide. We need you to direct. We need you to lead. We need you in worship. We need you in our daily life. We need you when we leave here. We need you for our Bible study. We need you in every component of our life because you are the one that's right and we are the ones that deserve the cross. Amen. But glory to God for the grace that we see in this passage. Because as we think about, as we think about Resurrection Sunday, we think about Palm Sunday, sometimes it's easy for us to just say, well, we know the story, we know how it goes. But it's not about knowing how it goes. It's about knowing the one that went before us. It's about knowing Jesus intimately and personally. We can be in church all of our life and not really know Jesus. 
Coming to church doesn't necessarily guarantee that you really know Jesus. It, know, it guarantees you know how to go through a process. You know how to check boxes. But it's very different knowing Jesus and then worshiping versus just worshiping and not really paying attention to him. Today, as we go into a time of invitation, I just, I pray, you know, I, I, I've been so blessed to receive this message. And, and this, is, this is what I want to challenge you with. You know, I was thinking about Philippians 3 in all of this, and, and the more that I read, the more that I discuss, the more that this passage just comes to light because out of everything that, that Paul, all the intelligence, everything that Paul could have uh, done and God did with him, the great missionary that he was, all the pursuits that he could have had, you know, out of everything in this world, he says this in, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, in verse 7. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. So out of all the pursuits, out of all the knowledge, out of all the education, out of all the, the privileged inheritance that Paul had, the one thing that he desired was to know Jesus. And you look at that and you say, well, didn't, didn't Paul know Jesus? Yeah, he knew him, but he wanted to know him more. Because the closer you get, the more you want to know. The more you experience the King of Kings, the more you see the grace, the more you see his perfection, you just want more and more. And more. To know Christ. So for those that are here this morning, as we go into this time of invitation, maybe you've met Christ at one time, but you can say that you're not doing anything in your life right now to grow in intimacy with Christ. There's a difference in knowing Christ here and knowing Christ here. We're not talking about just knowing the story, we're talking about knowing the Savior. They're two very different things. And you may say, well, I've been in church all my life and I know all the process. And I could come to you and I could say, hey, do you know what Jesus did for you? And you can name it word for word. But there is a difference in me going out and witnessing as an ambassador, knowing what the answers are, and me going out and knowing the Savior personally and being in love with the Savior. And your testimony will be, the difference will be seen if it comes from a place of love versus coming from a place of fact. Because that thief on the cross did not know all the answers probably about Jesus. But that thief on the cross knew Jesus. He met him personally. And that made all the difference. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, well I, I, uh, I, I've done so many bad things and I've done so much wrong and you, you don't understand, like, like I just don't know even how to start. And I want to say to you this morning, look, the message today looks at a thief that for his whole life had went astray, had went awry, and had not been obedient to Jesus. And yet on his last moments, he acknowledges his sin and who Jesus is and everything changes. It's, it's not about living a right life because we can't do that without him. It's not about having all the answers because we don't know those without him. 
It's not about just being able to tell the pastor what the pastor wants to hear. It's all about knowing who Jesus is. This is not a fictional story. This is an actual factual event in history. There was a, a savior that loved you so much that he entered Jerusalem for the last time. And when he rode in on that colt, he knew the cross was coming on the horizon, but he didn't turn around. When he rode in on that colt and, and all the people were celebrating him, he knew that those same people would be the ones that would probably change sides not long ahead. But he didn't turn around. When he got really rough and people really started mistreating and, and beating and spitting and, and cursing, he didn't turn around and leave. He didn't run. He stayed. He remained. Do you know how rare that is? <laughs> For a bunch of people like me and you that would make mistakes. That will fall short every day. For a criminal on the side of a cross, he stayed. As a matter of fact, while he was there, he cried out for all these people that were treating him so ugly. Father, forgive them. <laughs> what kind of love is that? Father, forgive them. I don't, I don't deserve forgiveness. But that's the Savior that he is. <laughs> and the thing is, is he wants to know you. He, he wants a relationship with you and with me. I, I can't understand it. There's a lot of question marks with that. Lord, you know me, but he loves you. And so many times we miss out on it because we make excuses and we say, well, uh, either he couldn't use me or he doesn't know where I've been. We, all these, but, but we're looking at a criminal on the cross. <laughs> he does know who you are. Doesn't matter what your life has been. Doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made or how much you've struggled. He knows who you are. And he still went to the cross for you. There's not a greater love that we'll ever know than the love of a savior like that. So if we could have heads bowed and eyes closed and we could stand together this morning. I just will invite you to, to bow before Jesus. You can do it in your heart where you are. You can come up to the altar. Maybe it's for salvation for the first time. Or maybe you just want to say thank you. Goodness gracious, thank you for all eternity. That even as a sinner and a thief that deserved death, that you allowed me to be saved, that you paid my price so that I could have hope instead. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, what you have done is greater than an eternity than it could be told for all eternity.
Jesus, I just pray that even in these moments this morning, I don't know what's been on hearts or what's been on minds, but that we can just honor you. Goodness. Lord Jesus, I know I deserve to be on that cross. It's not for anything that you did, but you were there so that I wouldn't have to be. And we just said, we thank you. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Jesus Follower Podcast. We look forward to you joining us next time.